Hello and welcome to Nerd Portraits, the podcast where nerds get together to celebrate their passions, stories, and inspirations. And my guest at this time is the one and only, I can't believe I'm saying this, John Roca. John, thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Pablo. I appreciate you inviting me on, man. This is going to be fun. I'm looking forward to it. Oh, you're welcome, man. Uh, first of all, why don't you tell us a little bit about your origin story? You are a, a <laughs> Shimodown singles champion. You have been a team champion as well. Still uh, am, yeah. Yeah, yeah you're, you're team champion. Uh, you're a member of the Hollywood Creeks Association. Yeah. You run your YouTube channel. You have mm -hmm. your YouTube show, The Avalon yeah. Nation. How did that came to be? That's a crazy, I mean, like, it's a crazy story because, like, uh, I grew up in Virginia and uh, I had always wanted to be an actor, uh, but I didn't have, but I, but I didn't have, like, you know, like the guts initially when I was, a, when I was in my teen years to pursue it with all my heart. Uh, but I was always in love with movies since I was like nine, eight, nine, ten years old. I remember just falling in love with movies and watching as, like, Saturday afternoons, just sitting right in front of the couch and just watching stuff. And uh, getting as much knowledge about movies. And I just always had such an inclination to love movies. I think being the son of immigrants, uh, you know, American movies are kind of how you understand America, at least back then, you know. And so uh, that's what my parents did. They plopped me down in front of the television. Uh, also, because they didn't want me to speak English with any kind of Spanish accent. They had uh, uh, endured some abuse, some racist abuse uh, in the country when they came over, uh, being made fun of for how they speak English and all of that. So for my parents, it was very important for me to learn the language without any accent. And so their idea was put him in front of the television and have him watch movies and learn how to speak the language. So from there, I fell in love with film. And as I said, I studied, I got into acting in high school, but then uh, had a bit of a detour in college and got into uh, the army instead, was in the military for a while, then uh, came out and I was stronger in a stronger position about what I wanted to do with my life. And then I, I uh, applied to be uh, a student at Florida State University. And then they accepted me after I did my associate's degree at community college. I went there, studied acting, went to London for six months and studied uh, acting and film there, which was incredible. And then came back to uh, Tallahassee for a year or two. I started my own production company, uh, made enough money to fund my move to Los Angeles. And then I came to Los Angeles in 2000. I was an actor for about 15 years, voiceover on camera, all of that. Just was never really 100% happy. I was always scraping by. I had to borrow money every, every few years. I would have some tough moments and tough months. I'd have to borrow money to stay alive and stay out here. But I realized uh, at about 2015, like I just was not happy, you know, with what I was doing and where I was going. And uh, Christian Harloff reached out to me and Christian and I had gone to college together at Florida State. We Because we, I came back to college um, when I was 27. Uh, I wasn't those young punk kids at 18 or 19 years old to go to college. And Christian was one of these guys that's like an East Coast guy who appreciated the fact that I kind of spoke my truth whenever I wanted to speak my truth. And that's how we became friends. And then every once in a while, I'd see him in LA and run into him randomly. Um, and he'd tell me about Schmo's No and all that. And I was just always like, oh, that's crazy. You're not, you're not Roger Ebert. What are you doing? Telling, doing reviews on YouTube, right? I just thought it was ridiculous at the time. But then as it exploded, I saw, wow, there is a market for this. And so Christian, 2015, going through a terrible breakup. He's like, Hey man, let me, you want to come do this? Then maybe it'll take your mind off things. Maybe you can be happy doing it. And 
step by step, piece by piece, I just found I like I took to it like a duck to water. Like I felt like, okay, this is what I have should have been doing. This is what I uh, want to do. And so for the last five years, it's been my sole focus to try to move up the chain and the ladder as much as possible and get as many shows underneath me, get as many hours hosting uh, and uh, become a critic and become a pundit and become a host and, uh, and then build up the YouTube channel, which I started fully started after I uh, was let go from Collider earlier this year. Um, so yeah, that's how that all, and then the Outlaw Nation, and it's, it's been incredible to be part of the Schmodown as well, but you know, I'm sure we'll get into that, but that's my long-winded explanation of how I end up here. <laughs> and yeah. That's really cool, and it's amazing how so many different things that had happened in your life mm. have shaped such a unique voice that I think you have. <laughs> <laughs> and, that, and that's really cool. And I remember seeing you on Schmoe's Snow and being like, huh, I really like this guy. This was something <laughs> needed. Like you bring often like different points of view, different perspectives being yeah. uh, the son of immigrants. If I recall correctly, your parents are from Bolivia, right? Yeah, Bolivian. Yeah. Yes. That's Both really, mom really and dad, cool. Yeah. Yeah. And getting into this space, how have you faced being a Latino? How did you bring this representation? <laughs> have you faced any yeah. struggles? It's an interesting question, Pablo. I, I, yeah. I, I am, how can I say this? Uh, I think I am born of both white America and Latin America, right? Because yeah. um, I was raised on all those films and TV shows, which were mostly about white America. So in that way, I assimilated more readily to that world because that was a big, as the firstborn son, my parents were very much about like, we want to be Americans. We want to be Americans as much as possible. So that was kind of drilled into mm -hmm. me from the beginning, but I never lost touch with my Latino heritage. Right. And so I was always uh, in touch with that with my mom and my dad. Um, so uh, when I came out here, when I started doing this business, I wanted to make sure that it was clear that I can function. You can look at me and go, oh, that's a, that's just a critic. That's just a pundit. He blah, blah, blah. You know, he's just as good as any white pundit I see all the time who get, you know, because at the time it's like everybody's like mostly, mostly white, uh, if not all white, you know, until the last few years. And so uh, when I got into that situation, I wanted to make sure that that market I could uh, connect to, but then I also wanted to make it very clear from the beginning that I was a, a you know a Latino critic, a Latino pundit. I had a Latino point of view, uh, so that there were uh, there was an inclination to get me onto things, so that there was another perspective on that panel, you know. And I think sometimes people forget, and certainly uh, I have been accused of this by a number of people, like, "Oh, you're not, you're not." Oh, I just always think of you as white, you know. And it's because I have had to assimilate to this country. Uh, in a certain way because of how my parents' experience really shaped me as the firstborn son. My sister and my brother, not so much, but certainly I did. So whenever I go too far or the other in one way, I like to make sure that uh, people understand, people remember I am of Latino roots, born in Latino, that the fire in my blood, the passion that I bring to the Schmodown, that is my Latino passion that I bring to any competition I do and any um, situation I get into as I'm building things. I try not to trade on it too much, but I do find now as I'm on my own now, Pablo, like it's something that I need to rattle the cage about a little bit more. Like, hey, I have my own outlet. Um, I am a fully Latino owned, operated, uh, and uh, uh, I don't know, owned, operated, and CEO, whatever you want to say of this outlet. And it is a Latino outlet, you know? And so yeah. that's the thing that's important for me to 
to kind of get across and, and I may need to work a little bit harder and, you know, take, make, maybe take some hits, like tweet about certain things and, and take the abuse or the criticism. But I think that's something that I'm starting to think about more and more is like, Hey, you all need to pay attention to what I'm bringing to the table here a little bit more. I'm sure you have faced some criticism from social media because sometimes people mm. want to reduce and mainly people that work in our space, you know, movie mm. reviews and stuff like that. They want mm. to reduce people to movie opinions. Yes. It's like, oh, you're here just to talk about movies, man. Don't bring any, how they say, oh, don't yeah. bring any politics into the it. The social stuff. Yeah, yeah, the politics. Yeah. But that's, and people you know, need to remember that critics are also people. And they have yeah. their own struggles and their own opinions. What do you think about that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I talk about this all the time because like, you know, I, I'm from D.C. So I'm steeped in politics from birth, yeah. you know, or from my uh, one years old. You know, we moved to Virginia right outside D.C. And so the idea of politics has always been a part of my life. I was reading the Washington Post when I was 10 years old. You know, I just was always interested in the world, you know, uh, going to travel to England. I was a member of the United, uh, what do you call it, the model United Nations in high school. So for me, being steeped in world issues, world politics, uh, national politics, it's always been an essential part of who I am. It, it, it annoys my girlfriend like crazy because I wake up in the morning and the first thing I do for the first two hours is read articles from the New York Times or the New Yorker or the Atlantic or, uh, you know, a new CNN or numerous other places that I get information from, Time, Newsweek, whatever, that's online. And so I read and then I try to talk to her about it and she's like, oh my God, I just, I don't want to talk about it anymore. You know, so it's like, it's just that I'm constantly needing to be informed about what's going on in the world. And so speaking about it, I think is important because you, I think you have to use your platform to um, make people aware of certain things or make people aware of issues or make people at least think a little bit more. And you never know what one tweet can do if it's read by a certain person at the right time, they can look at it, maybe take a look into a, an issue a little bit deeper uh, and maybe change their mind about it, you know? And um, I, I, I've never been ashamed of that. And uh, I know it's lost me followers or whatever, but this is who I am. I can only be me, you know? Yeah, that's great. And like knowing that you are your own person first before your movie opinions. And that's something that we need to remember yeah. as a whole. And yeah. Going back, you mentioned the Schmodown. Yeah. I definitely think you are the first person to, who took it to the next level. You know, <laughs> you you made the Schmodown what it is today because it was. I remember seeing it when it first started. Like this, a real cool trivia competition. Right. But there were barely any gimmicks. There were barely any like orchestrated entrances. Right. Right. So, what was your approach when bringing the character of the outlaw? to the Shimonon. How did you come up with it? Well, I mean, Christian and I, um, certainly in, in, you know, when he came to me and he said, maybe some people heard the story again, but I'll tell it. And, um, Christian came to me and was like, hey, I want to take this Shimonon thing to the next level. And they'd already had season one. I was not in season one. Um, yeah. And uh, he said to me, he's like, hey, I want to take it to the next level. Uh, I know you've do we've done some things, uh, but would you be willing to play the heel. And he knew I knew professional wrestling because we'd had conversations about it numerous times before. And he's just like, would you want to play a heel? And I was like, oh my God, yes, absolutely. And he's like, well, I just want someone who's like, you know, kind of like, I know you're a big fan of Westerns. He's like, kind of like, you know, kind of like a, a, an outlaw. And I was like, oh, that's perfect. I knew exactly. I had a cowboy hat 
in my closet already. I had the uh, Guy Fox mask. So all of that was like the creation of the outlaw was, uh, you know, uh, a conversation between Christian and I, you know, and, and um, we built it from there. Like, this is what I want him to do. This is what I want him to be like. And I said, okay, I can do that. I got to put my spin on it. Um, but I also, but I, and I've got the perfect outfit and it was literally that there's a picture way back when from 2016, maybe 2017, whenever I first started getting into the Schmodown and that picture is of me wearing an NWO shirt with the guy Fox mask and the hat. And that was literally 30 minutes after the conversation with Christian. So it was just an announcement of what was coming. And we had settled on that. And I had sent the picture to Christian. I was like, this is what I want to go with. He's like, yes, do it. And so that's how we started. And so it was uh, Christian and I discussing how we wanted it to be. And then him like having me crash interviews and mess with people and all of that, um, you know, that was his instructions, but I did what I did within the instructions, you know? And so that's how I made it my own. Um, And then I had to win the matches. I mean, I think that's the number one. I know people... People won't get mad at me when I say this, but I don't believe that in the Schmodown, this is not professional wrestling. I mean, in the Schmodown, I don't think you can be the greatest heel ever if you don't win titles. You have to win titles, you know? Hulk Hogan, when he was a great heel with the NWO, he won titles. Kevin Nash, Scott Hall won titles. You know, those things are important. I know in the WWE, they, you know, the heels rarely won titles. Um, like when back in the eighties, like Hogan never, I mean, Hogan never rarely lost to a heel. It was occasional. Uh, but of course into the attitude era, then you'd see, you know, the rock as a heel winning the title or stone cold turning heel and winning the title or triple H winning the title. So then there, so to me, those are the heels that you remember, right? From the eighties, Roddy Piper. Yeah. He never wanted title as a top guy or whatever, but when things changed in the nineties and I think our schmodown is attitude era schmodown. Uh, it's influenced by that. You have to win titles to be considered one of the greatest heels ever. You know. Yeah, you got to be able to back it up because right. there's a exactly. lot of people that say, "Oh, I'm the best, and I'm gonna be the best <clears throat> competitor ever," and they they don't win the big match. Right, and because the Schmodown character is, it has many parts. Right, create the character, do great promos, get the fans to support you and love you step into the ring and have some memorable matches and then win the titles. No matter, it could be teams, could be Star Wars, could be IG, could be singles, doesn't matter, but you got to win a title. And I think that's the last piece of the puzzle that turns you into a legend, in my opinion, you know? Like Bateman was always knocking at the door, but when he finally won the title, people changed their minds about him fully and completely. And the same thing with me, when I finally beat Dan, I mean, when I beat Dan, that's when everyone, everything changed. Like everything, oh, damn, he can really do it. Like he beat the unbeatable. Uh, and that was before he lost to Sam and, and Christian. But at the time, he was unbeatable. Um, or not to Sam, to Christian. But he was unbeatable. And so that was what solidified me 100% with the fans. And so it's a weird place to be in now, Pablo. I'll tell you the truth. Because I spent so many years fighting the fans, fighting the competitors, uh, uh, in the ring and out of the ring uh, for respect and for people to see the work I was doing because I wasn't, you know, like Dan is such an easy guy to like. Um, you know, I'm not a pretty boy. I'm just a battering ram of passion. And I tried to, I tried to establish myself as strongly as possible and winning those matches. And sometimes people were upset when I would win. I mean, you know, they're really upset when I would win. 
Um, but I was determined. I was driven uh, to succeed and, and win those titles. And I did it, you know? And so it's weird to hear people be all like appreciative of what I do now. I almost feel like, I almost feel almost like, uh, where's the bad comment? Where's the bad comment? You know, cause I'm so used to being criticized for being the outlaw that it's um, so rare now to be in this position where people respect and appreciate what I did. And so it's humbling for damn sure. Uh, but I'm always still kind of slightly suspicious behind this, behind it as okay. well that, you know, that, cause uh, and I'll tell you honestly, I'll Pablo, cause there were a lot of Latinos who, uh, were not my fans who came after me, who said terrible shit about me and, uh, you know, picked fights with me on Facebook and everything like that. And it just, I was like, I'm, I'm representing us. Like, why are you coming after me? But, you know, within the Latino community, there's a lot of jealousy within of other Latinos. There is that kind of insidious jealousy that, that exists in the Latino community. When you see someone else succeed as Latino, you get mad that they're succeeding and you're not. And it becomes that, you know, and so, or you're not succeeding the way they would succeed, you know, and so it becomes all of that. So uh, that was one of the eye-opening things that I had to struggle with because I want to represent my race uh, and my people so strongly uh, and in a positive way. Uh, so that was a, a shocker, to say the least. And I'm sure the preparation behind it is tremendous, mm. but how, like, I've never competed in a match. I can't <laughs> say I know what it feels like. Yeah, but what is it like having the pressure of preparing for the match, and also knowing that there's a lot of people watching you who are waiting for you to make your first mistake? Oh yeah, you know it depends on the mental preparation I do before the match, Pablo. If I go in and I, I really allow the people who want me to lose to affect me, then uh, nine times out of ten I've lost the match. When I go in with this desire to prove myself to the people who are saying negative stuff about me, then I almost always win the match. You know, going into the Paul, I'll give you a small example. Going into the Paul Oyama match, I was nervous because the kid had, kid had shocked the world. He'd won the title. He'd beaten Dan Merle. He, uh, you know, he knew classics. All this, this was before the uh, match with Ben where he kind of fell on his face about classics. But before the match, I just thought this kid knows so much and he's young and he knows young adult stuff and he knows the stuff that I don't 100% uh, am comfortable with. So I don't know what's going to happen. I could lose. And I legitimately was like, I'm going to, I might lose, you know, this is very, and then what do I do now? You know, am I done? So uh, singles wise. And so I walked out and what happened was both Roxy Stryer and Shannon Barney started chanting fourth round Roca. And that pissed me off. It really pissed me off. And it pissed me off in the best way, which is it motivated me. Then I was like, Oh, okay. All right. All right. Let's do this. And so those are those things that people don't understand. And Shannon told me later, she said she leaned over to Roxy and she goes, Oh man, we might've just messed up here. He's probably going <laughs> to TKO Paul now. And sure enough, that's what happened. So I, when I, but like that kind of stuff, people, I'm built to be motivated by people's slights and people's dismissiveness of me. Nothing motivates me more. But if I'm in a, in a sad place or I got stuff going on in my life that's kind of affecting me emotionally, I can be vulnerable to people's uh, judgments uh, of me before I go into a match. Uh, that's, that's, uh, that's happened a couple of times. Certainly against Mark Ellis, that's what happened. I was going through some tough stuff and then I walked out there and I just wasn't ready. And he, he beat me. He beat me in the end, you know? Yeah, and that's the thing that us as watchers sometimes can't even imagine what you guys yeah. go through. <laughs> I mean, I've been to a couple tapings 
And I've seen some stuff that I'm like, okay, this doesn't make it to the end. Yeah. And it all and, and it's all about the crowd, really, when you're in a live yeah. event. It's all about whether they're feeding you what you need. Like in Orlando, I mean, they were so in our corner. It was incredible. Yeah. It was incredible. And feeling that energy when we walked out there, I just had so much confidence we were gonna win. You know, yeah. Dan, Dan really had confidence we were gonna win. But I, I was a little, you know, I get, I get in my head sometimes before a match. I'll get nervous or I'll get in my head. I'm like, what, what, I need to feel. I need to feel. I'm an organic person. So I need to feel like things have to line up for me emotionally. And when they do, then I can yeah. go out there and give my best. And so before the match like that, I, it wasn't until we walked out into the waiting area and you, can he, you could hear the people cheering for us that I was like, okay, now I'm ready. Mm-hmm. Now I'm in. Uh, and uh, we came out and we went out and we won it. We won the titles and it was great, you know? And so those, those kinds of things are, are really important. And there are other times where like, I, after Dan and I had lost to corruption the first time and I gave that uh, post-match thing where both, where I was crying, he was crying. It was all emotional shit. Uh, and it was, uh, but people didn't see the, the 15, 20 minute, like just tirade that I unleashed on Ellis and Christian. And they, to their credit, both of them were very like patient with me but I was incredibly pissed that, uh, you know, that uh, they made the decision they made with that David O. Russell thing. And so it wasn't until I calmed down a little bit that I went back on camera with Dan and, and uh, had the, com- had the uh, promo. So it was still emotional. Yeah. It just wasn't crazy. You know? And also you mentioned how the Schmodown has its roots in professional wrestling. You're also a yeah. huge professional wrestling fan. <laughs> yes. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that? Uh, how did it start? Was it part of this, like watching American movies and American TV that got you uh, into wrestling? I think it was more about the fact that I always felt like an underdog, you know, mm-hmm. uh, being the son of immigrants and having parents who were working class people, blue collar people, you know, seeing the uh, some of the abuse that they endured uh, and some of the hours that they put in to work uh, for this country and then hear people say negative things about immigrants and so it was always like a difficult thing in my mind uh, to feel like uh, a positive feeling about it. I always felt like we were underdogs that had to fight. And so in wrestling, um, for whatever reason, and by the way, I didn't know, when I started watching, I had no idea, but my grandmother apparently was a massive fan of pro wrestling, which I didn't know until I was 15. Uh, and she had, apparently she had dragged my mom and her brothers and sisters to see uh, you know, in South America, it was like the carnival wrestling where they go from yeah. town to town. Whenever they came into town, apparently my grandmother would drag my mother and her mm-hmm. brothers and sisters to go see these these <laughs> professional wrestlers or uh, probably luchadors uh, there in South America. So uh, clearly it was in the blood. And so uh, I remember watching one morning on my black and white television uh, and I was like, what is this? And it was Hulk Hogan. And I just, for whatever reason, his thing kind of really moved me and he was always like being betrayed he was always being screwed over he was always like losing the match and then he'd do the shade start going and, and win the match and so that just kind of touched uh me because this idea of the good guy is always the underdog against the evil corporation against the evil people who want to do them harm and so i saw people who were against my parents as evil i saw people who were trying to you know, hurt immigrants or denigrate immigrants or make immigrants feel lesser than, I saw them as evil. And so for me, it played out in professional wrestling, this idea of I saw myself as these people trying to fight and win against uh, the evil uh, people who were judging and, uh, you know, just felt like you weren't, uh, 
you weren't worth anything. And so that kind of just, I think, got the hook in me. And then the good versus evil thing, you know, it just is perfect for a young kid to kind of fall into, you know, there was no gray area back then. It became gray in the 90s, but it wasn't gray in the 80s. So that's how I became such a massive fan of of professional wrestling. Uh, I think that's a great story, how you found (laughs) it. And it's probably more or less how I fell in love with it. (laughs) I was in my house one day and I just turned on the TV. I was eight or nine and it was actually lucha libre like cmll oh yeah yeah and i started watching it i can't i can't tell you exactly what match it was it was mystico versus black warrior (laughs) in a mask versus mask match and i was like okay i'm hooked for life (laughs) in this (laughs) and you've also been involved in podcasts uh, about Mm. wrestling podcasts how it's like having your voice in this different spaces like the film sphere the wrestling sphere Mm -hmm. what changes have you felt or how has it changed uh well i mean um it was it's always been i've always wanted to talk about it right i always enjoy going back and having fun with it um other people have their figures and their play things and toys and whatever and their D&D and stuff like that. Professional wrestling is that for me. That's the one thing that I is a guilty pleasure of mine that I enjoy. Uh, and I still marvel at the physical abilities of these wrestlers too. That's another thing that's uh, people seem to, when they make fun of it, people seem to forget how much hours of preparation, days, weeks, years, months, years of preparation these people put into their bodies and put into their training and practicing so they can be great and deliver fantastic matches on the day of a pay-per-view or on the day of a show. Um, And so for me, I've always just loved it and I always want to talk about it. And so, uh, you know, when I started doing podcasts, like I I think the first show, uh, when I really started doing stuff over there for far, far away for Geek Nation, my friend Andre Gordon, who is now in Miami, he's a big professional wrestling fan. It's like I was, we used to watch the pay-per-views back in the 90s when we were in college at Florida State together. So he's like, hey, let's do a two YouTube show. So we did a YouTube show where we talked about, you know, uh, recapping what was happening in the big stories of wrestling. So we did that. We got Edge on for a couple of episodes. It was great to talk to him. And then eventually um, that died out. And then uh, I started doing my own show over there at Collider when they were like opening the door of doing professional wrestling. I was like, great, I'll do this. And so I started doing that with Aaron Turner. And then of course, Ryan Satin came in and then Ryan and I started doing it for uh, pro wrestling sheet because the uh, Collider brought pro wrestling sheet. And then when they let me go, I was like, I know one of the shows I want to do is a pro wrestling show. So I immediately reached out to Aaron who I'd maintained a friendship with. And I was like, Hey dude, let's do this. Let's do it. He's like, absolutely. Absolutely. So Every week, uh, we now cover. We had initially started it as kind of let's recap a great match from from times before, but people still want to hear about current stuff and talk about pro wrestling news. So we adjusted our show now to be a live show every Friday where we talk about wrestling news and then we uh, revisit a classic match from uh, wrestling's past. So to me, it's fun. It's one of my favorite shows I do because I don't have to worry about. Uh, you know, doing a crap ton of research or, or or people getting upset. Like, it's just fun to just sit with Aaron and talk wrestling. So it'll always be a part of my thing. Um, and I'll never apologize for it. Uh, and my channel reflects who I am as a person, right? There's a movie section. There's a sports section. There's a pro wrestling section. There's a reviews section. 
And if uh, things work out with me and Dorina, there will be a, a political section where we do a show awesome. that is me and Dorina just talking about. Because our, our Outlaw Nation show was such a great, easy uh, chemistry show between us to show what we can do if we do a show together about politics or about world issues or global issues or what's going on in our communities. I think that's important as well. Uh, you know, I'm not out here. I know other people will be like, Oh, you got to make your channel one thing and one brand and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, that's so for me, that's like putting me in a cage. And yeah, maybe I'm not ever going to get like 500,000 subscribers because my outlet is so diverse, but maybe just maybe down the road, if I convert this into a website then people will start to take it even more seriously as a as a website that covers multiple topics. You know, we see the rap now covering politics. BuzzFeed covers politics now and food and tech and all that. So it's like there are avenues to explore. I'm just at the ground floor right now building this Outlaw Nation outlet uh, to reflect what uh, what my points of views are and my interests are in the world. Yeah, I think that's a great approach. And at the end of the day, you want to make it for yourself mm -hmm. and in the end let like bring people in and i think that politics show is a great idea and it's something really needed in this community i think yeah. like real talk real issues uh think that's a great idea yeah so congratulations we'll on that yeah thanks man and talking about your outlet the outlaw nation yeah uh how has it been i've seen that you now do daily streams mm -hmm. You bring guests. How yeah. how did you come together? I mean, it's, like I said, just just ideas in my head. I'm always coming up with ideas for shows. Like it's always, it's mm -hmm. never stops. It just never stops, you know. Because and people are like, oh, you have to be on everything, or you do so much. And I'm like, for me, it's it's it get, can get exhausting, uh, but it's also what I want to do. So like for yeah. me, doing shows is a fun way to talk about things I want to talk about, and I like to connect with the fans. I like to be in touch with the fans. So that's why. A majority of my shows are live because yeah. I like to touch base with people and hear what they're thinking. I've, I've said this before. <clears throat> I'm a fan who became a critic or a pundit, right? And, and a host. So my, I have to have two feet on the ground. One foot is firmly planted in fandom with, uh, you know, regular fans just hanging out, watching stuff. And the other foot is in the uh, pundit sphere with everybody who I know and have gotten to know doing this business. So I don't ever want to lift my foot off of, out of one sphere and put it completely into another sphere because I think I'll lose something about who I am as a person. So I like to stay connected to both worlds. Um, and, the, and the Outlaw Nation channel reflects that. And that's why I'm always coming up with shows and why I always want to have conversations with the fans because they're the ones who are really down there telling you what's happening. Like down there, I mean on the ground floor. I don't mean that they're below me. I mean, they're on the ground floor. They are talking with their friends who are fans. They're the ones going to see the films eight, nine, ten times because we get to see them for free in the, uh, in the, uh, uh, you know, in the screenings and whatever. But it's the fans who are going and spending their hard-earned money to go see these films over and over again or watch these TV shows uh, or get those subscription services for those apps to watch those shows. They're the ones that are going to tell you why it's working, why it's not working. So I like to make sure my stuff is mostly live so I can get immediate feedback about what they think about the subjects we're covering and the things we're talking about. So it's important to me. And I mean, Ben, I was on an interview show with Ben Bateman and Ben asked me, he's like, aren't you afraid you'll say the wrong thing? You do so many shows live. And I'm like, that's never, I mean, of course I'm, I'm always trying to be aware that I don't misspeak, but that's just being a professional 
but I don't fear saying the wrong thing at the wrong time. I think I'm always aware and I have people on the show on certain shows who are open to having um, less restricted conversations, so to speak. You know, if you watch okay. game time, we're very wide open in what we talk about and very honest about our feelings. And we've said like on a sports show, it's this ain't sports center. That's our, that's our slogan for the show because that's how we approach it. You know? So I like to be open and without law nation show, every time I have a guest on every week, if they want to talk about something deep or something strong, I, I love that, you know, and have their honest opinions come out. Great. When I do the deep cut, I really like to explore what is going on in an actor or a director or a creative's mind when they're creating a project, when they're putting it together. I'm not trying to get the clickable link of like, oh, let me ask you again. Hey, you know, uh, are you going to play James Bond? Is it really the Snyder cut? You know, I like to find a new way in. So uh, I enjoy that as well. You know, I'm I'm a very inquisitive person. So my shows uh, tend to go towards that direction. We're approaching the end of the show here. Oh, yep. Yeah, so we're going to these random questions. <laughs> Maybe we're going to do two or three. Let's see what comes out. Okay. Okay. Oh, I like this one. Have you ever seen an UFO? A UFO? <laughs> I have never seen a UFO, but I completely believe in aliens. And I completely okay. believe in UFOs, but I've never seen a UFO. And isn't it funny? And this is for uh, anybody to think about is listening, and you as well, Pablo. For the last three and a half years, we have, or the last few years, actually, last time, we have not heard of a lot of UFO sightings. And you know why? Because we're becoming dumber. And they're like, we're not going to, why do we need to monitor these people? They're clearly morons. When we were moving forward, uh, there were more, uh, when we were progressive, when we were making changes, we were being challenging or challenging our leaders uh, there was more UFO sightings, but over the last few years, almost nothing. Like, so, oh, they don't need us. No, they, they were, we're regressing instead of <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay, let's see what other one comes out. Okay. Um, okay, huh, this is pretty cool. What's the funniest thing you have ever witnessed? Oh, wow. Oh, wow. That's a great question. What's the funniest thing I've ever witnessed? Uh, <laughs> I think, well, because of the situation, I think one of the greatest laughs I ever had was a friend of mine who was um, messing around uh, with a dog uh, years ago. And the dog, like, just kind of messing around, like, calling it and, and sending it back, calling it. And, and the dog, I think, just got upset one and then one moment and then just turned around and completely made a beeline for him and headbutted his balls, headbutted <laughs> his nuts, and sent him right to the ground. And the guy had no, like, the, when a dog wants to move fast, it can move fast. And he had absolutely no recourse to stop it. Uh, in that moment, and just just went down like a sack of uh, like a bag of sand right on the ground, <laughs> squealing, uh, you know, uh, in pain. So uh, that's one of the funniest things I've ever seen for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I had a video of that. <laughs> <laughs> Me too, man. Me too. Okay, and last one. Mm. Okay, this one's pretty weird. If not blue, what do you think? What color do you think the sky should be? Oh man, blue is my favorite color. Ooh, that's a great question. What color should the sky be if it's not blue? 
Wow. I mean, I don't, uh, I don't like to see red. I don't want to see a black sky all the time necessarily. Um, maybe green, maybe a, a light green, you know, that kind of puts you at ease, reminds you of a, of a forest or a great or grass right after the rain has happened. You know, that kind of, soothing uh color of green that would that wouldn't be bad I'd it be sounds peaceful yes yeah very right yeah yeah well john thank you so much for joining me on art portraits uh thank you. please tell people where they can find you on all your shows yeah absolutely you can find me at the roca says r-o-c-h-a-s-a-y-s on the twitter and instagram you can also find you can also subscribe to the channel and see the shows i was talking about here come and watch the shows I was talking about at youtube.com slash John Roca says. Uh, and if you want to be part of the Patreon as well, I, I do a lot of shows now for the patron for the patrons to participate in. Uh, and they you can go to patreon.com slash John Roca uh, and uh, be a part of that as well. And if you want to follow me on Twitch, if you're one of those young kids who want to do Twitch, mm-hmm. you can follow me, the Outlaw Nation, all one word, lowercase. Uh, go and follow me on Twitch there. I'll be doing some more stuff on uh, on Twitch really soon. So uh, that's I think that's everything I've got going on. Yeah, John, thanks so much for joining us. That was a great conversation with what you do. We got to know you a little bit more. So thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you, Pablo. It was an honor. Thank you.